uh, grab your Bibles. We'll go to Luke chapter 6. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're just really glad that you're here. Uh, very simply, this is just a worship service. Uh, we love to worship uh, one King, one Savior, uh, one God who is most profoundly seen in the person and work of Jesus. And so uh, we worship Jesus by singing songs that honor him and give him praise for what he's done and who he is. We worship Jesus by uh, studying the scriptures, hearing the word. Um, and that's what we're doing right now. We're walking through the gospel according to Luke. Uh, we also worship Jesus by being generous, by, by giving generously because he's most generous in giving us himself. We give in the small black box in the back. Many of you guys give online too. So thank you for uh, your faithfulness uh, in that way. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6. We're actually uh, going to finish what is called the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sermons. Uh, you're like, wow, that's a lot of verses to finish. Well, we're going to do that uh, because we want to be uh, ending Luke before Jesus returns or we see him face to face. Okay, so uh, this is a long book. There's a lot in here. So let me just encourage you just for a second as to what preaching is uh, and what it's not. Okay, preaching is, is not um, your only teacher where you're going to, I'm going to dig up every truth that is in there, and I'm going I'm to tell it to you every Sunday. Okay, we're going we're gonna to cover portions of Scripture. We're going to see the glories of Christ. We're going to look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see how it all points to and centers around him. And so uh, if you leave here going, man, I, I wonder what, what that is. Mike didn't touch on that. That's a good thing, right? Because that's going to force you and probe you and push you, hopefully, to get in your own study and study the Word and learn for yourself and ask God to teach you the marvelous things of his Word. So um, what I want to prevent is, is you thinking somehow that, that I am your... Um, functional way of kind of growing in the good news of Jesus, okay? If, if all you have is me as being your teacher or I'm the only one in the ways that you grow in Christ, if, if your only time that you're hearing the word or studying or digging in the word, if you're a Christian and it's only through me, well, there's, there's a big problem there, okay? Your, your theology of preaching in the scriptures is somehow twisted to where you think it's my job to walk godly and to teach you all things for you instead of you growing in godliness and asking the Holy Spirit that resides in you to empower you and illuminate your mind to know all the goodness that is found in him and in his word. So um, let's, I want to encourage you to do that, that when we leave here, that we walk uh, in obedience, that we begin to see uh, more profoundly the truths of the scripture, not just based upon, I hope this just stirs you up to go deeper and to go look, okay? Uh, that's what preaching does. It's more of the high view, overarching, let's see him, let's herald the truth, and then during the week we walk together, we come back together here, we get realigned again, and then we go back out, we're good missionaries fueled by this. So let's ask God to do that, and then we'll uh, get, get back into Luke chapter 6 this morning. Um, God, I, I know that no one uh, in this room this morning comes here without uh, being in deep need of some kind. Uh, Father, we are needy people. Uh, we are frail. We're sinful. We're imperfect. God, we're so grateful that we can set our eyes on the perfect one who does what we could never do, who can live the life that we could never live, who can take on sin and the wrath of God towards that sin in ways that we could never handle. Um, Father, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that we worship a risen Christ. One who is alive, who is ruling and reigning and has given his Holy Spirit and empowered his church. Father, we pray for those here that uh, do not have eyes to see or ears to hear that you'd open their eyes and open their ears. God, may you illuminate us to what you want us to know, what you want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 6, uh, just to catch you up to speed, if, if you guys have uh, kind of jumping in now or you haven't been following along, it's, uh, Luke, is, Luke is a gospel where it, it's, it's really tough to kind of just jump in the middle and try to follow what's going on. So um, if you've missed the last couple weeks, especially the Sermon on the Mount, it's good to kind of follow along with what's going because Jesus, like any good preacher or teacher, builds on what he says. So um, what happened was he started one of the greatest sermons he's ever given. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's by the Sea of Galilee. It creates this kind of natural amphitheater. He has no, uh, they had no speakers. They didn't have wires running. They didn't have a soundboard. Didn't have, you know, Hillsong showing up before him. He just gets up off the boat. He steps up, just starts preaching the word of God as the son of God. Amazing, right? Profound. And so as he's preaching, the wind is carrying his voice and all the people can hear him. There's multitudes. There's a diverse crowd just like here. There's skeptic kind of curious people. There's uh, curious followers who are just listening. Then there's fully devoted followers of Jesus who are becoming disciples and giving their lives to him, leaving vocations, submitting to his lordship, like, you know, on the earth. And so you've got all these different people he's talking to and he rolls out a sermon really about salvation, okay? Uh, there are a lot of people, godly men, who believe this is much more uh, ethical and how we live ethically, or it's a lot more about morality. Um, I believe this is clearly about salvation. Um, he's showing who is in the kingdom of God and who is not the kingdom of God, who is a part of the kingdom of Christ or just the kingdom of culture, and he shows within that how the kingdom of God is so upside down from the kingdom of this world. 
Okay, it's so counterintuitive the way that we think, the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we operate. Okay, so he's been rolling out for us that the spiritual person who realizes his spiritual poorness, who realizes he's in deep need for grace, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness outside of himself, who, who weeps over his sin, who grieves over his sin, finds the God of the universe in Christ, throws himself on him as his righteousness, and then he's probably going to be persecuted, reviled, not liked, and then it starts demonstrating itself in the way that you love your enemies, you bless those who abuse you, you love those who curse you because the gospel has so penetrated your heart that only then can you possibly live through the empowerment of the Spirit in that way that images the God who saved you. Okay, So he's just going to continue this thought of, of loving your enemies and he's gonna, this, this beginning of this text is just going to fly off the coattails of last week because here's what you're going to see. As Jesus is talking about salvation, we're going to see that if this gospel has transformed your heart, and you're truly loving your enemies, there's another aspect that will be true of you. Uh, you're not going to judge them. You're not going to condemn them. You're going to forgive them. Okay, let's look at verse 37. This is where we uh, pick up. He, uh, uh, Jesus says, judge not, and, it will, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, will be, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so Jesus is, is teaching here. He's saying, okay, if you're, if you're loving your enemies the way that God loved you as an enemy of himself, if, if you're merciful as God is merciful, if you're gracious as God is gracious, if you are showing the same love that you've received from God in Christ, then this is what's going to happen. You're not going to judge people. You're not going not to sit as the, the judge of the earth. There's only one judge. That's God. You're not going to condemn them. You're not going to damn them, right? You're going to love. You're going to bless. You're going to pray for all, wide, all to do what? Win them to Jesus. Make the gospel believable and Jesus beautiful. Okay, remember we talked about how this is an evangelistic type of love that he's talking about. He's talking about loving these people who are not a part of the kingdom of God in such a way that draws them to the cross of Jesus Christ. So, so he's showing you're, you're not going to judge them in this way. And, and here's what he's really saying and what he's not saying. He's, he's not saying you don't assess their spiritual condition. Okay, that, that, that actually helps you love them well. Okay, he's not saying that, that you don't use discernment in the way you converse and chat with them. That, that's another way that you love them, right? Um, what he's saying is you don't have a compassionless aggression towards them, right? Now, now this is where the rubber really meets the road of your heart because so like you go out and you preach the fire and brimstone to them and you say, yeah, I'm doing it with a compassionless heart when reality is you, you just don't like them. And you want them to feel the weight of judgment in a way that's not helpful and not glorifying to God and not a way that's loving, not a way you really care deeply about their soul, but you actually enjoy the idea of them being separated from Christ. And so Jesus is showing that the way we talk and treat people is not as judge. And he's also doing something here is he's just showing you, first, he's not telling you you do these things, so you just get this back. This isn't Jesus somehow landing in the prosperity gospel randomly in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Because some people read this and go, yeah, yeah, so if we do all these things, then we get them back. So the gospel's purpose is to serve me, feed me, and make much of me. Okay, that's the antithesis of what the gospel is. Okay, what, what he's saying here is he's saying this is how the universal system of the world works. Natural fallen man treats people as, hey, you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You don't judge me, I won't judge you. You're generous to me, I'll be generous to you, right? I mean, the natural state of fallen man as a whole, the universal system of the world operates in a way of, hey, whatever you do to me, then I'll do back to you. Karma, right? You'll receive good back, right? This is, we talked about this a lot last week if you missed this. And I love how Jesus profoundly says in gospel love, it's you love the way you'd like to be treated and then even when you're not treated that way. So Christian love sets itself apart from the natural worldly system of love. So he's saying, yeah, this is naturally how people will respond. And so he says, if you don't judge them, they won't judge you. Don't condemn them, they won't condemn you. If you forgive them, they'll forgive you. And follow this trajectory from last week. If you're being hated, cursed, abused, reviled, and you love, pray, bless, don't sit as their judge and condemn them, in the midst of that, what is that doing? It's giving you an open door, not a shut door, to speak the truths of the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying. They're going to see that you're otherworldly. 
They're going to see that you're not a part of the kingdom of man. You're a part of the kingdom of God. And man, this guy is different. He's been forgiven by something or someone. Why does he not condemn me? Why does he forgive me? Why does he not sit as judge over me? Because something else has happened to him. He's been so transformed by this beautiful gospel that he acts in this way because he realizes that Jesus was judged for him when he deserved to be judged. That that when he deserved to be damned and condemned, Jesus said, you get glorification. You get forgiveness. You get mercy. And so your vertical relationship with God and the gospel has to affect your relationships horizontally. It has to. And that's what Jesus is revealing here. And so as all this happens, it's opening the doors for evangelism. Now, now I, I have to say that some of us, because um, here's what Paul will say later. Who is on par with Jesus in authority and how he speaks? Okay, now this is a weird thing. Jesus said it, but Paul said that. That's, no, they all have authority from God divinely to write the, the inerrant scriptures. Okay, so Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians 5, hey, why are you judging everybody outside the church? You're supposed to judge people inside. It's not your job to judge those outside. God God deals with that. So what he's saying is, okay, in the covenant community, the local church and the faith family here, Christians to Christians, we're going to love each other a little bit differently. We're going to lovingly engage people in sin. If we spot something in their life, graciously talk to them, warn them, encourage them. But man, outside the church, some of you expect unbelievers to act like believers. Like it's insanity. Like you're just aggressively against all these people that make laws and legislate and do things. And you're, you, the way you talk about them is compassionless hatred, aggressively going after them, assuming that they have a mind of Christ that understands the grace and mercy you know. And that's just crazy. So, so how do you view them? How do you see them? Because if you see them as you were before you were grafted into the kingdom of God, there would be much more empathy. Much more compassion, much more love, less judgment, less condemnation, much more forgiveness, right? Just a natural stream of thought. And so, um, listen, the, the Christian message is not going after people who are not Christians and say, hey, change your behavior, fix yourself, right? It's, we want you to meet Jesus, right? Jesus transforms your heart, Jesus transforms your mind, and that will work out your behavior by the empowerment of his spirit. But let's start there first. Right? We want people to know a risen Christ, we, want, we don't want them to know how to behave differently. That'll do nothing. That, that's just a better person going to hell still. It's not good. Right? We want sinners forgiven and made righteous in Christ. And um, if, if, let me just say, if you're someone who um, walks around pronouncing judgment on people, if that's just kind of like the temperature of your heart, and this isn't hard to know, you should be sitting there going, hmm, not, you'll know, Right? If, that, if that's, that's you, I like how we do that in church a lot. Mm. And then you sit for a week wondering if that's you. You know, the whole time it's like, you know whether that's you or not. So, so if you're someone who walks around pronouncing judgment on people, if, if you're much more keenly aware of other people's sin and the ways that they are messing up and not walking in righteousness, um, what that shows is a deficiency in your understanding of who you were before you met Christ and what Christ has done for you in his person and work. I mean, look at, just, just real quick, Titus 3. It's not going to be on the screen. This, Paul does a great job at telling Titus, hey, the church you pastor, hey, go remind them of who they were before they met Jesus. Amen. Right? I mean, you, you need that, okay? So Titus 3, here, here's just a great reminder as to what correlates to what Jesus is saying here. Titus chapter 3, here's what Paul says to him. And I'm a pastor, I don't even know where it is. Where's Titus? <laughs> I just remembered, right, right. It's great. Some of you guys are leaving right now. You're like, we don't even know where Titus is. Where is it again? Seriously. Okay. Oh, there it is. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, I've, I've got a. Okay. All right. Titus chapter 3. Here's, okay, bring it back. I know. Laugh at my expense. Okay, here's, here's what we got. Titus chapter 3. Okay. Uh, let's go down to just verse 3. He's going to just graciously remind us who we were for. Now, if you're a Christian, this is true of you. Okay, you're not exempt from this. Okay, and if you're not a Christian, enjoy hearing who we were because we were who you are now. Okay? Seriously. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, antithesis of the Sermon on the Mount. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, 
he saved us, not because of good works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified, declared righteous before a holy God, not based upon anything you did, just because he says, I'm going to look at Jesus and and say you're righteous because he took the wrath of God for you, he bore your sin for you, so he stood in your place, he's your substitute, all that stuff is yours in Christ, amazing truth, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So he's telling this church, and he's really telling us, and Jesus is telling us here, hey, do you remember who you were? Like, like do, you, do you mentally remember and understand the way that you were walking before the kindness of God appeared to you? And, and how could that possibly create judgment on somebody else when you were this way? You were foolish. You hated others. You lived and operated in the same karma universal world system as, yeah, I'm going to be nice to people if they're nice to me. I'm going to hate them if they hate me. I'm going to curse them if they curse me. I'm not going to pray for those who abuse me. I want to be well-liked by everybody. I mean, he's just showing how this rolls out in life and how you have to remember who you were. And that will squelch unrighteous judgment and condemnation and sitting over people as a righteous judgment. God says, that's my seat. That's where I sit. You don't sit there. And we, we ask God to move and work graciously. It gives us compassion. It doesn't give us indifference. And I love it that he says we're forgiving people, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know there's more profound ways you look like God than when you forgive without holding anything but back, right? Because that's what God did for us. There's no begrudgment. There's no bitterness. He's not holding on to any type of resentment. He goes, you're forgiven. It's finished. You've got it all. Mercy Endless grace, endless kindness. I love how he says, given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Be put in your lap. The measure you will use, it will be measured back to you. Here's the big idea. Uh, Jesus is using an illustration that people they understood. Farmers would come. They'd have their seeds, their grain. They'd go to buy it. And what they do, they have these big buckets. And we understand what this is like. They'd go to purchase it, and it would be pretty high. And he'd say, hey, can you stomp it down? Make it lower, and then can you fill it up again? Because they want to maximize what they get. Right? We know this. We go into grocery stores. You get popcorn. Just did this the other day. Got a bag of popcorn. It's like this big and there's this much popcorn. What is that? They're jipping. I don't, I don't get my maximum amount. I get this, right? I want to say fill it up. Keep packing it down. Fill it up, right? The movies, that's what we like to do. Hey, pack that down. Put butter. Pack it down, right? We want the, the maximum amount of what we buy. Okay, so we all get this, right? We all get this illustration. So here's what he's showing. He's using this illustration to show this is how God gives in Christ in his gospel. He gives you overflowing. He gives you endlessly. He gives you the greatest amount. He keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. You want more grace? You want more forgiveness? He just keeps giving endlessly. Amazing. And so we do that to others. You don't decide on Mondays I'll forgive by Friday. No. You keep giving and giving and giving because vertically you're receiving that from him. So you extend it horizontally to your neighbor and to your antagonist and to that person who rubs you the wrong way and bothers you. We talked about this a lot in passing weeks. God has given us endless patience, grace, forgiveness. So you do the same. Now here's a super practical question. Um, If you're refusing to forgive someone and then you're heaping judgment on them, you're living an antithesis of what God has called you to live to be viewed as a son of the most high, right? So so this really gets into your heart as to how you view people and what obligations or contractual things you have for extending forgiveness. He says forgive. Press down, overflowing, just because God did this to you in Christ. So you have no right really not to. You have no right really not to continue bearing with and loving and Extending mercy and grace like Jesus did for us. Are, are, you with, are you withholding something from someone? Christian? And if you are, you're living in antithesis of what God has done for you in Christ. What if, just think about this. What if God did that for you, to you? Hmm. I'm going to withhold today. Because you're not performing well. You're rebelling. I see the secret sins. Mind-blowing, right? 
But when you think about it in terms of just human lay terms, that he continues to persist in granting us the, the eternal riches in Christ even when we rebel, even when we don't make it to par. And so we exhibit that to others. And then Jesus, I love this, he shares an illustration to make a point, a seemingly odd one. We'll see how it lands well because he's Jesus, so he's a perfect teacher. Verse 39, he also told him a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? Some of you are wondering, why in the world does Jesus throw a seemingly odd story in right here? What is he talking about? Like, I was talking about blind men leading blind men into a pit. I mean, yeah, that's obvious. If the blind lead the blind, they can't see where they're going, so they're going to fall into something destructive. He's discussing salvation, remember? He's talking about how you're in the kingdom of God and not in the kingdom of God. So what he's saying is, is he's talking to a multitude of people, a variety of listeners. Here's what he's doing. He's starting to draw a line in the sand. And, he's, and people are starting to realize the teachers of the day, the Pharisees and scribes, are speaking a message very different from Jesus. This is why you'll see Jesus repeatedly say in the Gospels, he'll, he'll call the scribes and Pharisees blind guides. He's now redirecting their eyes and their hearts to, hey, you're hearing a lot of other messages about how you're made right with God and how you enter the kingdom of God, and they're false. These people are spiritually blind. So if you follow a false teacher who does not know God, does not know the, know the things of God, does not know the ways of God, you're going to end up in a pit. You're going to end up in destruction. So why follow a blind guide? Right? Because now they're hearing all of these things. Now some are going, wow, what Jesus is saying is much different than what the scribes and Pharisees are saying. They said, I had to uphold the law to find any righteousness. They're the ones who are saying, curse those who curse you. Hate those who hate the law. Remember, we learned that two weeks ago. He's reverting back to verse 24, right? The spiritually poor, the spiritually blind inherit the kingdom of God. But those who are rich, those who are well-fed, they don't. These are not people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're thrilled by their own, right? So he's saying, hey, watch out for people who try to teach you Another way. Watch out for blind guides, false teachers. Beware of those who don't teach the truth. He's saying there's a lot of teachings out there on how someone enters the kingdom of God. And as he's alluding to the scribes and Pharisees, he's showing that he's just laid it out. Remember, the, the scribes and Pharisees did everything that was the antithesis of everything that's happened in the Sermon on the Mount. They loved judging. They loved condemning others. It made them feel good. It boosted their ego. They loved praying in public and not in private. They loved spotting everybody else's sin and never looking at their own, right? So you're saying, hey, watch out for these teachers. They, they most profoundly, they lack deity. Look at what he says in verse 40. A disciple isn't above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, when he's fully trained, will be just like his teacher. So, if you're following someone who does not know the things of God, does not know how someone is placed in the kingdom of God, who is not rescued and ransomed from God by the shed blood of Jesus, if you're following that person, you're going to become just like them. You're going to just like your teacher. And that, that they knew this very well. Scribes and Pharisees, they were pupils and teachers, and they would just teach them the law, teach them the scriptures, and they would grow up to teach the same. Just a trickle-down effect. So if you're following something who's, someone who's just earthly and lacks deity... Well, you're going to become like them. What, what is so profound about it? as we follow Christ and know Christ, we become like who? Him. Right? We become like Jesus. And, and then 1 John will say, I think, in, in there, that once we see him fully, we'll become just like him. Because we'll see him just as he is. Right? There's this progression that's happening where we're becoming like our teacher. So here Jesus is showing us that you can't follow someone who's a blind God. And if you follow them, you're going to become just like them. You're going to start condemning. You're going to start judging. You're not going to be loving as someone who's in the kingdom of God. You know, there, there are millions of people um, who don't know the saving work of Christ. Millions. And other belief systems that all teach that you do and you work and you don't rest on what a Savior has already done for you. And they will all be judged. Those students of that will all be judged just like their teachers. In the sense that they all will inherit not life but condemnation. So he's saying be careful who your teacher is. Be careful who your truth teller is. 
serious word from Jesus, right? And in that, I do think he's saying, hey, by the way, I'm God. I'm not earthly. I mean, where do you see in the scriptures Jesus see right to the heart of people? Everywhere. That's why I love he's the only one who can say, hey, I know what you're thinking. And this is why that's wrong. Right? Oh, shoot. You know, like, I mean, we see that all throughout the scriptures. The Pharisees and, and scribes can never do that. The religious leaders of the day who were the truth tellers of the day can never do that. That's why everyone was constantly amazed at Jesus' teachings. I mean, how does he speak like this? You hear the things he's saying? And what happens? The scribes and Pharisees are attributing him to Satan, right? They go, man, this guy's like Satan. He's like Beelzebub, man. He's, he's possessed by something else. They can't even handle the truth that Jesus would say. So as Jesus draws a line in the sand, because they don't know the truth, because they are only earthly, they're hypocrites. Verse 41. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, not the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. (laughs) Here lays the irony of every system outside of Christianity. Every belief system outside of Christ alone, faith alone. Here's what is the biggest problem about false teachers. They can't fix you because they can't fix themselves. I mean, they are enslaved men telling people how to be free. So, so the, the wordage here is actually, I think, I think, very funny. I think Jesus is showing that he had humor in his preaching. So if you're one of those people that go, oh, you're just a pagan because you, you make people laugh. I think Jesus did too, so maybe he's not that. So, so here's what we see. The irony of Jesus, here, here's what you're showing. This will help you understand a little bit. He's saying to everyone that these religious people are going around going, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye. Hey, let me t- teach you how to have a little bit more virtue, how to be a little bit more moral, be a little bit more righteous. Meanwhile, that word for log is like a massive beam. Okay, so you gotta, you got to picture this, right? I mean, a massive beam is sticking out of your forehead, okay? And you're stumbling about. You're knocking everything out of the way. You're just a blind guide spiritually. You're telling everybody else, hey, follow me. I know how to find life. I mean, how crazy would you be to follow that person who's going, yeah, and I think I see something in you, right? And you're going, well, you've got this beam sticking out. You can't even see me. So, hey, take that out first. Why don't you find truth? Why don't you find the way to eternal life? And then you can deal with me. So, so true teachers know how to fix themselves, how to find righteousness themselves from God through Christ so they can then teach others. So if you're following a blind guy who's got a beam sticking out of his face, who doesn't know truth, you're going to follow him just like that, become like him, and eventually end up in the pit, which is destruction. So he's saying, hey, first, deal with that. Deal with the beam. You have to know what's true. You have to know what God has laid out as true. Amazing. Um, This is why I think what we'll see in Matthew 23, Jesus pronounces just all these woes on the religious leaders. He goes, you're whitewashed tombs. You look so good on the outside, inside you're dead. He'll even say, I think later, I think he says in Matthew 12 that, that, there's evil in your heart, and so evil is what comes out of it. How can any goodness come out of it? And we're going we're gonna to see that here in a minute. But um, you know what's beautiful about Jesus? Uh, he wasn't a hypocrite at all, was he? <laughs> the only things that came out of his mouth were wholly true. He was spotless, undefiled, without sin, loved his enemies, took on judgment for us. There was no hypocrisy in him. He's the perfect teacher. He's the truest teacher. So he's saying subconsciously, follow me. Listen to me. I'm God. I know what's true. I know how to enter the kingdom of God. I know how, to, how salvation is found most profoundly in my personal work, which I will do in the coming months, right? Amazing what we're seeing here. So if you follow a blind, earthly, hypocritical teacher, you're going to end up in a pit, void of God, with no acknowledgement or awareness of your sin. But Jesus graciously deals with us in that way. Um, He's going to further illustrate his point in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. 
For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For the, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. He's talking about the religious leaders and the teachers. He's already gone after them. I mean, you can just read the Gospels and see the ways that he talks to them. He knew their way was error, and he knew their way was hypocritical. He knew their way wasn't right, didn't lead to truth, didn't lead to deeper life. So he's going, hey, you better listen to me. I'm telling you what's true. I'm not a blind guide. I am God. And so Jesus here is saying, you'll know a true teacher by their fruit. I mean, I mean who in the world goes to look for grapes in another type of tree in a bramble bush? I mean, no one does that, right? I mean, who, who tries to find figs in a thorn bush? No, both of those are dangerous bushes. You don't want to stick your hand in there. Don't go looking for truth there. Don't look for truth in someone who is earthly, but someone who is God. Someone who demonstrated all that is perfectly true. And so he's just showing what's in your heart will ultimately come out. The truth of who you are will ultimately come out, which is why Jesus is the truth teller and the ultimate savior. Because he backed up everything he said by what he did and how he lived. I mean, him saying, love your enemies, him saying, bless those who curse you, him saying, pray for those who abuse you, who else could most profoundly demonstrate that out of their heart the mouth speaks and when he's hanging on the cross doing that, when he's looking at humanity who he created, fashioned, and formed, going, hey, you guys are all enemies of me in your hearts, you all want your glory and not mine, you're hating me, you're spitting on me, you're slapping me, you're shaming me, and I'm gonna say I love you as I hang and die and take on your curse for you, take on the wrath of God for you, all your shame, all your sin, I'm gonna demonstrate that I'm the truest teacher. So why are you listening to them? Amazing. That, praise God that we serve a Savior who backs up everything that he claims and everything that he says, right? So you look at Jesus and you see one who is not a hypocrite, one who loved his enemies, one who blessed. He fulfills all these teachings in the Beatitudes. We've been saying that repeatedly over and over and over. So Jesus is warning us against false teachers who don't teach the truth. They have a nice veneer about them. A nice outward holiness, they might sound cute, but inwardly, their, their love ends at themselves. They have a self-righteousness that is grown to produce compassionless indifference. That's what's so damning about self-righteousness. I think he's calling out the religious leaders on the most profound sin of the day, which is self-righteousness. They don't produce any godliness, right? They don't love their enemies. They don't love those who hate them. And, and just before we, we ask two questions about false teachers, um, and I've said this before, here's what's so damning about self-righteousness. Um, <laughs> it is that you grow so, so big in your rules and your laws and what you think is right that you end up playing God and playing his rule and playing his reign. So anyone who doesn't do what you think they should be doing, anyone who doesn't add up to the bar that you've set, you look down upon in compassionless indifference. And, the, and then what that creates is, is you're so unaware of that beam sticking out of your forehead that you end up just stumbling around, calling everybody to follow you, playing the role of God, playing the role of Jesus when you're leading people to separation and anything but the truth of Jesus. So we have to be very, very careful how we function as Christians, right? How we're living, what the pulse of our heart is. I think Jesus is showing, showing us this. And false teachers just, <laughs> I think a thing that's evident is they, they talk more about themselves than Christ. Some of you are going, well, how do, I know if, how do I know if there's a false teacher? How do I spot one? Okay? Mike, how do I know if you're a false teacher? That's a great question. Right? Well, the first thing is, I think Jesus alludes to, is, is they make much of themselves. They talk more about themselves than they do about Christ. And that's what the religious leaders were doing. Look at me, pay attention to me, focus on me. I mean, this is something that has been common throughout the centuries and the day. Look at what Peter said in Peter 2. False teachers arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality because of them, the way of the truth is blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Peter's saying false prophets have always been. And, and they love 
man's glory, not God's glory. They'll exploit you. They just want to be wealthy, just want to be rich. They want to use you as a platform to make much of themselves. Right? They speak more about themselves than they do about the risen Christ who's done it for them. And I, I mean, pay attention. They come in secretly, right? I swear, so many of us think, man, false teachers are going to look like Satan, going to have skulls on the t-shirt, eating bats, and have like horns on their head. Like, you know what I mean? We just think that they're going to look like some just crazy, obvious Jude says they creep in unnoticed. They just start talking to you, whispering to you, speaking to you. So if you don't know the true teacher, Jesus, how are you going to spot a false teacher? If you haven't been redeemed, saved, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, how are you going to have any illumination to spot what is false and what isn't true? So here's just two, two, two things, guys, uh, how you can know if someone's a false teacher. And we could spend all, all day, all week unpacking this, okay? So this is not exhaustive. But we could talk about how they look at the scriptures, how they believe about sin. But just almost every false system attacks Jesus. Everyone. So the first question is very simply, what do they say about Jesus? Very simple question. Just listen to what they say about Jesus. And specifically his humanity and his divinity. Listen for that. Listen for what they say. Because there's one thing every false system will do, and it will deny either aspect. Either he was just a created man, he was just kind of a spirit, he didn't have full humanity, he was more just deity, or he was all deity, he wasn't a man, or he was only man, he wasn't God. Okay, both leave Jesus deficient and lacking. Okay? Does he have, Jesus was the Christ. We believe Jesus, Jehovah saves, the, 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 the God-man who came and died was also the Christ, the anointed king, the Messiah, the blameless son of God. Anything else is anti-Christ. It's against who Jesus is. Because, listen, if he wasn't fully human, then he could never identify with you as a sinner and take the payment for you and absorb the wrath of God. If he was only God, then he couldn't have came and identified with you as a sinful man and taken on the wrath of God and stood before the judgment of Christ and say, hey, I stood in their place. He had to be both. I mean, he couldn't have risen again if he wasn't divine. And he couldn't have died if he wasn't human. So you've got to have both for the substitutionary work of Jesus. That's just the, the big word for his redemption, okay? That's the, the core of the Christian doctrine is Christ was fully God, fully man. He came as a man. He lived perfectly, sinlessly, righteously for you. He was also God, so as he took on the wrath of God as a man and was buried, he was God and that God raised him from the dead to gift you his Holy Spirit to be saved and ransomed into a new kingdom. So you need a Savior who's both, okay? There's no other belief system that has a Savior that's both. Only Jesus is. So listen to what they say about Jesus the Christ. That's kind of their, their litmus test. Um, isn't it funny how Jesus is the litmus test? Now, you, you know what I mean? You can go up to your neighbor and just talk about God all day long. You're great. The minute you mention Jesus, you have five heads and three eyes. Right? Am I not right? That happens to me all the time. Right? I mean, it's great talking about God, your view of God, your version of God, the, 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 you know, kind of the way that you kind of make him and view him. And the second you start talking about Jesus, the walls go up, uncomfortability. Oh, this crazy neighbor, he talks about Jesus. God, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, well, I'll let Jesus, right? Jesus is the litmus test. He's always been. Jesus has always been the litmus test for people's hearts. It's always been that way. That's why you hear a lot of people say, you know, all these other religions, I mean, Muslims, they have their view of God. He's, he's Allah. That's how they see him. These other people in other countries that never heard the gospel, they kind of fabricate their view of God through Romans 1. So that's kind of how they see him. But First John's going to say, you can't know God without Jesus. Like, like, you can't even understand what he's like without Jesus. You, can't, you don't have access to him without Jesus. So, so Jesus is the center point of all that we believe is true, which Jesus is laying out here in Luke 6. He's showing us that very thing. Um, the second thing they, they add, or that they do, is not only listen to what they say about Jesus, but then do they add anything to Jesus. Okay? That's the, the second one. Okay, very simply. This is how you, you understand a true and false teacher. One, what do they say about Jesus? Is he fully human and fully divine? And then, do they add anything? Because the scriptures will teach that Christ died once. For all sin, he was the one sacrifice, the one substitute, the one righteous one that came to do it. So, anything else that's added, Jesus plus, doing any other works-based anything is not a true system. Anything. 
Jesus does all of it. And that's why every false system will do one thing, and that's incorporate some type of work system. Okay, that's, that's, that's what they all do. And that's why I talk to people so many, so many times. I'm like, do you understand that God wants you to be utterly secure in the finished work of Jesus? Like, he wants you to be assured of your salvation. Like, he doesn't want you always wondering, well, I, I think if I read more, then he'll look more favorably. And I think if I just add this or add this or add this, maybe the cross of Christ will, will do me more help and make me more glorious. And no, he's going, man, Jesus is it. I want you to be secure in Christ alone. That's where I want you to find your hope, your ransoming, your salvation, everything. Just, just hold on to him. Okay, so, so that's, what he's, that's what false systems don't do. They teach Jesus is great, but you've got to sprinkle whatever else in. And the Bible will aggressively say that's false. And Jesus will say that's false. That's not, that's not true. You know, I was, I was thinking how, um, and I don't think everybody means it intentionally, but belief systems outside of Christianity, they, they, they do want there to be a little bit of insecurity in the finished work of Christ. Because what does it do? It curbs your behavior. Because then it becomes, well, I better do this two-year mission, or I better do all these good deeds. If I'm going to be a god or get my 70 virgins or whatever it is, man, I, I now ha- I'm now enslaved to a system where I have to perform in some way so that I somehow get the results that I desire. And guys, that's what cults do. And, and people, I hear people in here say, how come cults are so much more committed than Christians? They're not more committed. They have to do those things. They're going to get anything that they think in the end. They have to perform those ways. They have to act in those ways. And we say we joyfully and gladly follow and submit and obey. Why? Because it's all been paid in full. We're not earning anything. No righteousness is being dumped on us because we love each other, because we study the scriptures or pray. I mean, the gospel compels you to go be good and love your neighbor and love your enemies. And that's why we've been saying the gospel is the only thing that shapes this and allows us to do it. Right? So we walk in glad submission to Christ. You know, that's why I, I want you guys to hear loud and clear. Um, the message of Christianity is not that you're a slave and you're only loved and accepted when you obey. The, the scriptures teach that you're a son and you're a daughter who's loved even in your moments of rebellion, right? That God loves you despite your actions. God demonstrates love when you're in your sin. He doesn't wait for you to mature, doesn't wait for you to get better. He says, in your sin, in your enemy loving of me and loving of yourself, and you wanting glory for your own name and not glory of mine, and you hating me, persecuting me, reviling me, rebelling against me, and all of those things that you did, I demonstrated my love for you so that now you can become a son and daughter and so you can walk and even when you continue to stumble and fall, I demonstrate crazy, relentless love towards you. And that causes you to serve a wonderful master who bought you as his own. No one's forcing you to do that. I remember when I taught student ministry, people used to actually, parents used to come up to me and say, can you stop preaching so much grace? Like, I want you to scare my kid into heaven. Like, like tell him about hell a little more. Like, I actually had that. I'm going, hold on a second. No, no, no. Then, then there's a deficiency in your understanding of the gospel because I don't need to worry about someone who hears the good news of Jesus and what he really did and them really aware of their state. Titus 3. I don't have to worry about them walking out these doors and then just willfully living how they want. It can't happen. When you behold the beauty of Jesus in his death for you and is absorbing the wrath of God towards you and your sin, him being your substitute, saying, hey, you're righteous. Hey, just join me, trust me, lean into me. You can't leave the room differently. I don't have to worry about you abusing God's grace. And if you are, maybe you're not converted. Maybe you're not Christian, if that's the pattern of your life. If you leave here every Sunday and willfully, unrepentingly, just indulge in sin with no conviction, no godly sorrow, then maybe you're not saved. And you should examine that. That's healthy. That's good. But the Christian walks in light of the gospel and says, I don't want to grieve you. I love you. I want to live for you. I want to honor you. Help me. I'm, I'm, I'm in need. And Christ is sufficient to meet my need. That's how the Christian responds in Acts. Jesus will sum this up in verse 46. He's going to really get at our hearts now. Say, if you really believe this about me, if you really are a part of the kingdom of God, obedience follows. You're not just transformed. 
to show evidence to others. You're transformed by the way that you live and how this flushes out. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the floods arose and the stream broke against that house, he could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the streams broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. (laughs) So for the one that hears the truth of Jesus and doesn't just listen but applies what he says, is like this house that's strong. You know the truth, you rest in the truth, you stand in the truth. So even when the, the streams and rivers break against your house, it doesn't fall apart, you've got a deep foundation in the truths of Jesus and who he's done primarily in the gospel of grace. You're not swept away by condemnation or guilt or shame or lives from the enemy. You're, you're rooted and then you're walking in what you know daily. You're applying this. Some of you, there's powerlessness in your life because there's no obedience in you. There's no applying of any truth that you hear. You come in, you love to listen, you love to articulate facts, but like there's no evidence that your life's being wired to Jesus. And you're wondering why you're flailing like a fish out of water. You're wondering why these things haunt you, why you have no joy, and why you lack life. And why the bitterness won't go away, and why the the resentment and the lack of love won't come up. You, you, You wonder, and Jesus is saying, well, then why do you call me Lord, but you don't do anything I say? You claim to know me, you claim to be in the kingdom of God, but there's no obedience at all. And you wonder why when the streams of life hit you, why you're washed away. There's no roots. Psalm 1. You're not a tree planted by streams of water, which yielding fruit. He's saying if you hear and do nothing, eventually you'll be swept away. Oh, how I don't want that for any of us. I don't want any false system to tickle your ears and you'd be swept away because you didn't really fully believe in the gospel of grace and dig your roots down and seek out the truth and study his word and get around healthy fellowship and grow in grace with the church. You know, um, many of us, even right now, right now you are living powerlessly because you're refusing to be obedient. Um, You know you should be putting to death specific sins in your life, yet you refuse to do anything about it. You, You know you should be confessing your secret sins, but you refuse to do anything about it. You know that you should get around brothers and sisters and lovingly walk in community where they can avail your life, speak into your life, see your life, but yet you do nothing about it. Some of you are living a dichotomous life. You come in here, everybody sees one thing and no one sees the other, and you do nothing about it. You don't walk in the light. You don't escape the darkness. For the good of our souls, for the glory of God. And I'm telling you, that's a lie from the pit, which is why Jesus will say, you want to find life? You want to find joy? When you call me Lord, then you do as I ask. Not because you have to, not because it's giving you any righteousness, because you know you can trust me. You know that when the storms hit, you'll be firm, you'll be rooted. You'll find freedom. You'll escape the snare of sin, not be drug into further bondage. Why do you call Jesus your Lord and claim to follow him if you do nothing he asks of you? Um, Jesus is really saying here, mere listening doesn't prove anything. Like that doesn't equal belief. (laughs) Belief in the gospel is then humbly submitting yourself to Jesus as Lord and Savior and walking joyfully in submission to his word and submission to what he has asked and said and submission to the great gospel that has saved us and rescued us. Right? That, that, those are the people who on that day say, Lord, Lord, and he says, I know you. He'll consistently say, many will say, Lord, Lord, I don't know you. You didn't look like me at all. You said you're part of the kingdom of God, but you look just like the kingdom of man. Yeah. 
Um, so just, guys, just a simple question, guys. For, is Sundays for you just listening and no obedience? Is that Sunday morning for you? Where you play church every single Sunday and you look great, you dress nice, you get here on time. Otherwise, what? I say this all the time. What a, what a terrible hobby. I just, like, if you're a Christian and you, what are you doing here? Like, why are you coming just to hear some idiot speak and then, you know, you, you sing some songs, leave, and there's zero anything after that? You're not gathering in the community, you're not giving yourself to the church, you're not walking in the Holy Spirit, you're not confessing sin. Like, what is this? Like, like it's just so futile. It makes no sense. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're here, praise God. I mean, we want you to know and seek and learn and hear. I'm talking to the Christian, the claiming Christian. Don't just say, Lord, Lord, and then do nothing that they ask. Say, Lord, Lord, you're my master. How can I walk? How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I be made more like you? I want to be like my teacher. I want to be a good student. I want to follow not the blind guy, but the all-seeing God. Who in Revelation 1 looks at all the churches and spots every single last sin. Who's not a hypocrite. Who took the judgment for me so I wouldn't be condemned and gave me forgiveness when I didn't deserve it. That's who I want. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Let's let's ask God to to bring us there. God, I just want to take a second to just help us in this moment. Uh, For some of us, maybe our life is one of constant excuses. May we see you as good and saving and rescuing this morning. God, maybe for the first time some of us will admit I've never actually acted in obedience to the truth presented to me. I'm only a mere listener. And listening produces no transformation. Jesus says, those who love me will obey my commands. Not in a saving way, but an evidenced way. You're here this morning, you're living a secret life of sin. I say, Jesus graciously, forgivingly, kindly calls you into the light. Says there's freedom for you. There's hope for you in the cross of Christ. I took on your shame. I took on your abuse. I took on the shameful acts of sin. I took on the condemnation you should feel rightly in your sin. And I bore it myself. Repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. All we have is Christ to present. All we have is Christ to be saving. Some of you, maybe it's, I don't know, what, what, who are you functionally following as your teacher? Because you'll obey whatever you worship and whatever teaches your heart. Are you following Jesus and are you being made more like him? In the way that you talk. In the way that you operate. In the way you love your neighbor the way you walk in holiness. God, would you help us to look like you, image you well? Uh, Would you help us, Father, to be people who love you so passionately that our lives are demonstrated outwardly that we are otherworldly? I pray for those this morning who might feel shame, condemnation that is not of you, who are in Christ, that you'd remind them of the perfect payment and sacrifice that is in Jesus. God, protect our ears from false teachers. Help us to know who is speaking truth and who is not, but what they say about Jesus. Help us to cling to the finished work and always celebrate that alone as our saving knowledge of you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.